This episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. The so-called creator economy has been getting some serious attention lately. Traditional media are confounded by people who create content, build audiences, and make money online. But what's really going on here? Is it the viral TikTok stars and Instagram influencers that have it all figured out? Do you have to amass millions of followers to make it in the creator economy? Mighty Networks wanted to find out, so they hired an independent research firm to study the creator economy. What they found is completely counter to the mass media narrative and probably quite familiar to you as a listener of what works. In short, the creators who are thriving today own their platforms, niche down to hyper-specific audiences, invest in community, and create their own network effects. And the biggest non-surprise? People are making the same amount of money with direct sales to as few as 30 customers that the stars are making with 100,000 followers or 2 million views. Want to learn more? Go to NewCreatorManifesto.com. That's NewCreatorManifesto.com. What works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. I am a fast person. I walk fast, cook fast, write fast, talk fast, work out fast. It's like I'm always moving towards some urgent need or trying to escape some impending disaster. So I've been working on slowing down for the last few years. And to do that, I have to be mindful. I have to be present enough to notice that I'm zooming around and get curious about why. Then I can take a beat and slow down the tempo. Now, I say that like it's easy or like I even remember to do it on a regular basis. I don't. Now, I find it hard to look around at the world, the news, the market, my family, my community, and not feel the pressure of urgency. Things change so fast today, yes, but the problems we face and the opportunities in front of us are also urgent. It's not just the speed with which things happen. It's the fleeting window of possibility we have to make changes or seize the moment. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores entrepreneurship at the intersection of culture, leadership, and power. In her book, Emergent Strategy, Adrienne Marie Brown writes, quote, There is such urgency in the multitude of crises we face, it can make it hard to remember that, in fact, it is urgency thinking, urgent, constant, unsustainable growth that got us to this point, and that our potential success lies in doing deep, slow, intentional work. Maybe we could call it strategic FOMO. The fear of missing out on the chance to change course, solve a challenge, make things better. Of course, good strategy is never created quickly. Changing course, solving challenges, making things substantively better is slow work. Otherwise, it's not actually strategy. It's just another crappy repair on top of a history of Band-Aid solutions. 
Slowing down is key to building a business that operationalizes and embodies its values. When you slow down, you can ask yourself better questions, gather diverse perspectives, get curious about what's really needed, and take time for quality. And that's really why I've been working on slowing down. I've become acutely aware of the friction and dysfunction that making a fast decision causes. I can easily see how speed has made it harder to make sustainable, humane choices for my business. I've also become aware of just how lovely it can feel to pause and check in, to say, let's revisit this next week to luxuriate and exploring how things could be done in ways that epitomize my values and honor my capacity. Today, you're going to hear from four other business owners who have also found that slowing down has helped them operationalize their values in their businesses. You'll hear from Sarah Cottrell, the founder of Former Lawyer, Gracie Obashovitz, a self-care consultant for companies and organizations, Yvette Ramos-Voles, a glass artist and aromatherapist, and Jenny Morris, the founder of Vegology. Each one is finding ways to create the necessary space to check in with their core values before making decisions about their business, big or small. By slowing down, they make their values a core operational consideration instead of merely good copy on a website. Let's hear from former lawyer founder Sarah Cottrell first. I practiced law for 10 years, and now I help unhappy lawyers ditch their soul-sucking jobs. My business just turned two years old, and I have one main offer, which is the Former Lawyer Collaborative. It's a course group program hybrid for lawyers who want to leave the law but have no idea what to do next, which is very many lawyers. For me, one of the most important values in my business that shapes how I approach everything is being trustworthy. And I think it might sound a bit silly to say I value being trustworthy because after all, who doesn't? But there are so many tactics used and taught in internet marketing and running an online business that get normalized by the industry, but that are, in my view, something that erodes trust as opposed to building trust. For me, operationalizing the value of trustworthiness means running every idea, tactic, and piece of content that I create first through the lens of, does this feel right? Would I be okay if someone marketed to me in this way? Would I be okay if someone whose program I was in treated me this way or made this decision? What would I think of someone who ran this kind of ad or this kind of promotion? How would a podcast or YouTube episode about this topic expressed in this way strike me? Does making this choice or taking this action make me more trustworthy? Only after I do this gut check and it passes the trustworthiness test, do I proceed to ask whether the idea is one that I actually want to implement. It sounds simple, but without that explicit gut check first up front, I find that it can be easy to assume that an idea or a tactic or a program aligns with your values, especially if it's widely practiced, without actually consciously deciding and confirming that it's true. A specific example of what that looks like in practice is that when I'm considering joining a program, I don't just consider the content or the level of experience of the teacher 
or leader or organization. I always consider the demonstrated character of the leader or the teacher and what their public presence is like. I also consider how they communicate and if they communicate with their customers in a way that I want to emulate. I also look at how they run their business. Recently, I had a program recommended to me to address a specific problem in my business and everything about the program looked great and exactly like what I needed. But as I reviewed the website, I realized that they engage in hiring practices that I believe to be unethical. So I passed on the program. I want to make sure that I'm learning from people who, by their words and actions, support my goal of being trustworthy above all else. And if there's a mismatch there, I don't invest my business dollars with that person or the company. Using the lens of trustworthiness helps me to make decisions that are consistent with the overall tenor and tone that I want former lawyer to project to the world. Sarah's process of slowing down to do a gut check for her trustworthiness value sounds pretty simple, right? But how often do we just plow through our choices and ideas without regard for their eventual outcomes? Next, let's hear from Gracie Obashovitz. Gracie built a thriving business by following the lead of experts and coaches, but it wasn't until she slowed down enough to assess her own needs that she landed on a way of doing business that supports her value for connection. I had no lifelong desire to become a self-care coach and definitely never dreamed of being an entrepreneur. For years, I taught yoga in Washington, D.C., and was just happy to avoid spending 40 hours a week in an office. Then I decided to take an immersive training in Ayurveda, the 7,000-year-old sister science of yoga. I found that practicing Ayurvedic habits transformed my sense of self-care and helped me navigate some extremely difficult life transitions. I'm not exaggerating when I say it totally changed my life. So when I was offered a business coaching program on how to start my own Ayurvedic habit change groups, I jumped at the chance. After taking a crash course in program design, marketing, and sales, I created a 10-week program called Self-Care 101. I recruited 10 of my favorite yoga students for the pilot and immersed them in everything I knew about self-care. The results were amazing. My clients changed their self-care habits and then went on to change their lives. Their personal growth was much more impactful than any of us had imagined. These clients recommended my program to their friends and family, and my self-care courses began to fill. I quickly started to see myself as an entrepreneur. I created an online presence, including a weekly self-care newsletter and podcast, and dedicated hours of my week to speaking with audiences or talking to potential clients. Within six months, I had an exciting, lucrative career. It was exhilarating. By then, people started to ask me the question, what was next? After my initial unexpected success, how was I going to grow? I worked with a few business coaches during this time, and their advice was usually the same. Grow my business by creating affiliate programs where others would coach the program and I would act as more of a CEO, and grow my online presence through automated marketing and targeted social media activity. Their words made sense to me. Growing up in a capitalist society, I was conditioned to think that bigger almost always meant better. However, as I tried to put their advice into action, I had some major roadblocks. For the affiliate program, I did my best to bring on new coaches. I enjoyed training them in my self-care methods, but when it came time to market their new programs, we couldn't get a critical mass to sign up. Looking back, I can see my programs just weren't ready to take me out of the equation yet. 
I also spent thousands of dollars and many hours of frustration trying to figure out an automated lead generation system through a complicated email marketing system. I never got these systems to bring in new clients, and my attempts to make things easier by setting them and forgetting them just added a lot more work to my plate. All of this work to grow bigger just made me feel like I was pedaling backward. The more I tried to take myself out of the business, the less it seemed to work. Even within these mishaps, I still tried to follow the advice these coaches gave me. I told myself that I had to work even harder to grow, but another voice whispered that maybe I was actually going the wrong way. This voice gave me the first inkling of my value for connection and how much this value had been fueling my business. I was starting to see how distancing myself from the interpersonal connection of my business was not only bad for profit, but it was also taking away all the parts of my work I really liked. The little whisper grew much louder right after I put down a sizable deposit with a new business coach. This person told me she could make me into a best-selling author and take me all the way into being a household self-care name. I had been so excited when she sold me her vision, but as I neared my time of working with her, I was increasingly filled with anxiety. One morning, I took a long walk in the woods. The whisper had turned into a shout. Sitting by the river, I felt clarity followed by grief. While it was hard to let go of this fantasy of taking my business all the way, or whatever that even meant, I knew what I had to do. I wrote the coach and asked for my deposit back, which she luckily honored, and I made a vow to myself I was going to focus more deeply on authentic connection in my work, even if it meant getting smaller in some ways. Of course, I canceled the fancy email marketing system and informed my list that I was just going to email them once a week, and it would always be with quality self-care material. I did write a book, but I did it as part of a collaborative design project with a small independent press. It took us a year of truly joyful collaboration, and we emerged with a beautifully hand-printed book called Self-Carefully. I definitely have not become a household name with this book, but I'm immensely proud of it, and through it, I've been able to connect with many wonderful people over the world. Over the past few months, especially with the direction and support I found in the What Works Network, I've decided to redesign my business by going all in on connection. First and foremost, I switched my focus from helping individual clients with their personal self-care to leading organizations in creating company-wide cultures of self-care. Creating a programmatic shift alone has been the biggest way for me to operationalize my value for connection into my business. Having the financial stability and longer-range work of larger contracts means I get to have ongoing connection with big groups of participants in a structured way. I can relax into the meaningful client work that I love, and my clients can benefit from ongoing contact with my self-care work. I've also factored connection into the entire design of my customer experience. I've chosen to follow a lead generation strategy that's based on one-to-one conversations. Weekly, I reach out to people who I think could use my work and ask to have one-to-one conversations about self-care. Sure, I'm hoping some of these people will turn into clients, but mostly I just get excited to connect and have meaningful conversations about self-care. My intention is that every touch of my business, from first discovery to offboarding a client, will inspire a sense of personal connection, both for me and my client. I've learned I am someone who is fueled by connection and depleted by hustle. So this new business plan has already felt so successful to me. Instead of pinging my list for new clients or hoping to add more followers to my social media accounts, and at times feeling like I'm shouting into the void with both of those strategies, now I simply focus on connecting and nurturing relationships. Two things I am naturally good at, and two things that give me energy back. And after landing two big client contracts this fall, I have the feeling that my enjoyable strategy could actually be pretty effective in the long run. I'm at the beginning of what I hope will be a long stretch of B2B work. I know I have a lot to learn, and that I'll hit more than a few bumps along the way. 
However, by understanding that I am personally motivated by connection and designing my business to infuse connection into almost every aspect of operations, I know I'm building a sustainable venture. I've let go of the idea that I have to suffer through a process I don't enjoy because one day it might make me successful. Instead, I'm putting my values to work and designing a business that, as one of my favorite Buddhist slogans goes, is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. I've certainly fallen into a pattern of trusting others more than I trust myself over the years. And as a result, I've made decisions that make it harder for me to do business in a way that works for me as a whole human being. I love that Gracie's example is an invitation to connect with your own needs, including how your values are present in the way you do business. Next up is Yvette Rimmis-Voles, who is building her two businesses by taking the time to operationalize authenticity and quality. I've been creating glass works of art for nearly 20 years. And for the past five, I've created a safe space for helping people manage life's changes and transitions through the process of creating glass art. A living life in the meantime process I developed and is published in the International Journal of evidence-based coaching and mentoring. Most recently, I founded Botanica Aromatica, helping people in need of self-care breathe easier with botanical aromatic support systems, helping them center their mind, body, and spirit in the meantime moments. The time between what was, what is in the present moment, and the possibility of what's yet to come. Ultimately achieving a state of allostasis, or simply put, balance. Botanica Aromatica was born in early 2020, just in time for the COVID-19 lockdown. While getting Botanica Aromatica off the ground and navigating a pandemic, I began my level two clinical aromatherapy certification process, completed 14 case studies, offered a buy one, get one for every product sold, and donated products to first responders, essential workers, and neighbors to help them breathe easier through the earlier part of 2021. This fueled my internal fire to go deeper and create holistic support systems that work in tandem with our own internal support systems to further help create allostasis, the balance we all seek between the mind, body, and spirit, helping my potential clients incorporate the experience into their existing daily practice that can become a ritual over time. I also offered the experience of personalizing the support systems further based on the individual's needs through a free consultation. From the very beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, quality, authenticity, sustainability, balance, personalization, and experience have been at the forefront of everything that I do at Botanica Aromatica. If I had to choose one value that embodies Botanica Aromatica, authenticity would be it. Using only the highest quality organic ingredients to handcraft our clean botanical aromatic support systems is our stamp of authenticity. Formulating each individual product made to order without harsh chemicals and preservatives with a 30-day max shelf life. Using sustainable, reusable, and recyclable containers and packaging materials, reducing our carbon footprint and our clients is our promise. Authenticity shows up again in our personalized labeling, handwritten note cards, individual packaging for each and every product in separate drawstring burlap pouches, and the overall package presentation and fresh clean scent that escapes from the perfectly square cardboard box, 
permeating the air as soon as it's opened. That breath of clean, fresh air immediately engages the olfactory epithelium that's directly connected to the amygdala and hippocampus in the limbic system of our brain, where emotions are coordinated, behavioral responses regulated, and memories stored, closely linked to our heart's center. The support our products offer and joy they deliver is what sets Botanica Aromatica apart from the rest. The extra time, effort, and resources that go into creating this experience is worth it to me, and the joy it brings my clients is priceless. Authenticity is Botanica Aromatica's differentiating factor. Everyone who has had this experience as a case study through their own purchase or my gifting efforts feels uniquely special. I know because they've gone out of their way to tell me so. My intention for 2022 is to reduce my offering to a subset of products, like my aromatic inhalers, that can reach the most people and address the single most universal need today, breathing easier, coupled with mindfulness, meditation, breath work, and creating less art in an experiential setting for a personalized experience. Getting out and speaking with as many healing and wellness professionals as humanly possible is essential. Delivering free samples for them to try out in an effort to form a collaboration, complementing their practice, and providing greater support to the community they serve is my purpose. What I create is clearly not for everyone. It's for people that are already motivated to begin making incremental lifestyle changes and enhancing their toolkit for managing change in their everyday lives for themselves, their family, and the people around them. The herbal aromatic botanical space has become very crowded and noisy in a very short period of time, like Studio 54 in New York City on a Saturday night in the early 80s, and it's only going to get even more congested as change is here to stay. Competition is fierce, and so many seem to be touting a panacea, a healing remedy for all sorts of ailments, priced at $9.99 sidestepping quality, purity, and sustainability. That's neither who we are nor what we stand for. Our products are fairly priced for the quality, authenticity, sustainability, balance, personalization, and experience we deliver. As I continue on my journey in my own lane, I am grateful to the universe for presenting me with opportunities, like this WattWorks Network Community Podcast, for learning, creating, and remaining curious to authentically, creatively, and aromatically continue serving others. My real-life experiences have taught me that with a little support from my toolkit, I can breathe easier in times of uncertainty, change, and transition. And so can you. I've often struggled with the conflict between my quote-unquote need for speed and my value for excellence. I want to work fast and create great work, gosh darn it. So I really appreciate people like Yvette who remind me that good stuff takes time and that authenticity is part of how I work, not just who I am. Finally, we'll hear from Jenny Morris about how some business results convinced her to slow down, reassess, and find a way to make compassion part of her business's MO. One of our core values is compassion. Our business is built on the foundation of compassion and kindness. We are empathetic to the needs, thoughts, and feelings of those we serve. Now, being an animal rights advocate from the age of 16, I'm 44 now, compassion and kindness has been a part of my moral compass moving throughout life. It is only fitting to make that one of our core values at Vegology. 
As a business, our goal is to make a positive impact in others' lives and the world. This includes having a genuine interest in our customers' success and honoring their motivations and intentions for exploring the plant-based lifestyle, whether that be for ethical, health, or environmental reasons. A positive result in our customer success is that we are able to fulfill our desire to contribute to initiatives that align with our morals and values. A percentage of all our profits go to ethical organizations supporting animal advocacy and other social justice initiatives. Now we do go beyond focusing only on instruction of how to cook plant-based meals, but we also dive deeper into creating the right mindset and habits to sustain a plant-based lifestyle. That is why we design our programs to be a holistic and inclusive experience. Although getting to that point was definitely a learning process. For example, our signature program was first introduced as a meal planning membership. We would provide weekly meal plans with recipes, shopping lists, and trainings every month. Our members raved about it, thought it was super awesome. Well, at least for the first three months. That was the point where we saw membership drop. Members just started dropping off. The survey results we collected showed that while everyone thought the recipes and trainings were great, those new to the plant-based diet felt overwhelmed by all the content. Those looking for more advanced training didn't want to wait until month six for the plant-based cheese making training. So we had a little bit of conflict with people at all skill levels. After eight months, of the membership being live and collecting and analyzing all the feedback, we decided to restructure the program. There was definitely a red flag there. Now, using a compassionate approach, we listened to our members and empathize with their feelings, which helped us realize what they truly needed. This was essential to us creating a program that would provide our customers with the skills, knowledge, and mindset to sustain and thrive on a plant-based diet. It's designed to be beneficial for all skill levels and even promotes weekly engagement and support within the community. So we ended up reaching out to for volunteers from our community and former members of the Vegology Collective, which is the name of our signature membership. So we reached out for form, former members of TVC to create two focus groups. We wanted to introduce the new format and get feedback before launching the beta. Now, we couldn't have been happier with the results. The excitement and energy was incredible. That's when we knew our efforts, guided by compassion, paid off. Now, we also factored in compassion for ourselves in the whole planning process. Ourselves meaning the business as well as our individual selves. We also factored in what this would look like for our future team. Right now, we are a husband and wife team. We run it all ourselves, and it can be challenging on many different levels to balance competing personal and business needs. We set very specific boundaries to accommodate this. We don't work on weekends. We take the entire month of August off. It's a big month for us. It's our anniversary. It's Matt's birthday. It's his hole-in-one anniversary. And I'll admit, we slacked on sticking to our boundaries at times this year because of the content demands we put on ourselves with the membership program. We wanted to build the business around our desired lifestyle, not the other way around. This restructuring of our signature membership also gave us the opportunity to create a better content flow 
that benefits balancing our personal and business lives. It gives us some much needed breathing room. In conclusion, compassion as a core value guides us to recognize the needs of others and ourselves. When challenges arise, like members dropping off, it gives us the drive to find opportunities to make positive difference. Serving our community with compassion and kindness creates a ripple effect that benefits so many lives, especially the animals. Wink, wink. I'm glad that we could end with Jenny's incredibly practical example of how a value like compassion can actually guide strategic decisions about how a product evolves and how that evolution is executed. When everything feels urgent, it's easy to react as quickly as possible. And urgency is part of the air we breathe today. In her book, You Belong, Sebene Selassie writes, curiosity is a key component to reducing reactivity. Curiosity, well, takes time. It takes space. It takes even an investment of resources. If this month's series on operationalizing your values has you curious about how you could work your values into your business in practical ways, I encourage you to stay with that curiosity. Pay attention to when you're moving fast. Take a beat and ask yourself what's really going on and what the real opportunity is in that moment. You'll find more ways to operationalize your values as you slow down and stay curious. Special thanks to former lawyer founder Sarah Cottrell, self-care consultant Gracie Obashovitz, glass artist and aromatherapist Yvette Ramos-Voles, and vegology founder Jenny Morris. You can find links to their work in the show notes. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Emily Kilduff is our production assistant. Marty Seafeld edited this episode. Special thanks to Shannon Paris for managing our contributors. If you love the What Works podcast, you're going to love What Works Weekly, my weekly newsletter exploring entrepreneurship at the intersection of culture, leadership, and power. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly to sign up.